طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مدل له ومن يذلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد ما دير بدرز السلام السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته so I want you to think about if you could have anything that you possibly desire right now, what would you want? So any one thing that you could possibly desire right now, what would you want? Jannah? Everyone? <laughs> okay, I think that's too easy of an answer. What about Jannah? Everyone wants Jannah. Tell me what specifically you want in Jannah. The highest level. The highest level. What do you want from the highest level of Jannah? What do you want from Al-Firdaus? <laughs> Nothing specific? You don't want anything specific? There we go. You know when something doesn't go as planned? That's exactly what happened right now. So what I was trying to get at is you know, everyone wants something with the presumption that it will make them happy, right? Everyone will want something in this dunya or in the akhirah with the presumption that it will make them happy. And our discussion for tonight is something that will truly make the believers happy. In fact, it's guaranteed that it will make the believers happy. And that is the, the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now when it comes to the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want to start off with some of the benefits first and you know the, the motivation behind it and then we can get into the, the technical stuff. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in describing his ru'ya and being able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he describes it as the greatest blessing of all. We'll take proofs later on, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he tells us mazid that in Jannah you will have every single thing that you desire and we will still have more to give you. The Mufassirun from the from the past they said this extra over here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you, it is the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now it's called extra over here because it is greater than anything you could possibly imagine and possibly understand. And it is the thing that will make you the happiest. So in Surah Yunus, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that those people who do good, they will have goodness and they will have more. And again, this more that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to is the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now I want you to think about from the perspective of Ahlul Sunnah, when we affirm the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we always said that there's a greater wisdom as to why we affirm those attributes. That not only do we do it because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to do so, but there's tangible benefits from it. And I want to share three of those with you in terms of the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one, granting an individual patience. So you'll notice that in times of difficulty, people always need motivation to keep going. When things become really difficult, they need something to, to, to take them to the next level so that will allow them to be patient and will allow them to persevere through the trial that they're going through. And this is the number one benefit that when one understands that they live purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they're patient for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why it's so important to, you know, understanding the verse in Surah Al-Muddathir, وَلِرَبِّكَ فَاسْبِرْ That for the sake of your Lord, be patient. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to be patient for the sake of, of our Lord because He is the only one that can compensate it. And the ultimate compensation for the patient people will be to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will be to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So when an, under, an individual is going through a difficult time, he remembers that, look, my patience will lead me to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in the highest of paradise, then this is what he strives for. Number two is consistency and uh, persistence in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, there's a great wisdom by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He tells us, That it is only you that we worship and only you that we seek assistance from. The scholars of the past, they mention over here that the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions assistance and worship together in this verse is because the thing that you will need the greatest amount of assistance in from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why the Prophet when he taught Mu'adh ibn Jabal a dua, he told him, look Mu'adh, I love you for the sake of Allah. Should I teach you something that you should say at the end of every salah? And he taught him to say, Allahumma inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. Oh Allah, aid me in thanking you, remembering you, and perfecting my worship of you. So this concept of continuously worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we understand that it's very difficult. For some people, it may be the five daily prayers. For some people, it may be their sunnah prayers. For some people, it may be qiyamul layl. And you can you know, break this down to every other aspect of worship. Zakat may be difficult for someone. Sadaqah may be difficult. Lending money may be difficult. You know, every aspect of worship, it'll have its fard, sunnah, and mustahab part. So regardless of where you are, you'll always need that extra motivation to take you to the next level of ibadah. And what's interesting is that subhanAllah, in the hadith that affirms the, the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet clearly tells the Sahaba that make sure that you don't miss two prayers. Meaning that if you want to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you'll have to be consistent in these two prayers. And we'll get to that at the end of the discussion. So it's almost like uh, circular in nature. That you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then when you are lacking motivation to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you remember that one day you will stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and see Him. And then that becomes an extra motivation. That becomes an extra motivation. A third thing. And that is patience on one's desire. And this shouldn't actually not be, it shouldn't be called patience, but it should be called refraining from one's desire. Even the scholars mention it under patience, we're going to create a, a separate category, refraining from one's desire. That a lot of the times, you know, desires present ourselves very, very easily. We live in a time where, you know, the halal is next to impossible and the haram is, you know, as easy as you can possibly imagine. You want to do anything haram, it's at a snap of a fingertip. You want to do something halal, you have to jump over hurdles to actually get to it. And at a, living at a time when haram is so difficult, you'll need motivation to prevent you from doing that. And again, that motivation to prevent you from doing that haram is the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That when you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the believers, that will be their happiest moment for them. And you want to think that, you know, will I be deserving of seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if I'm actually doing this sin, if I'm actually doing this sin. So from Ahlul Sunnah's perspective, when we affirm the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these are the tangible benefits that we get out of it. It's this constant motivation to be patient, to do good deeds, to refrain from our desires. And when you deny the, the, the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can understand why these motivations are lost, why these motivations are lost. So now let's actually get into the proofs for the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the proofs for the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one, Surah Al-Qiyamah verses 22 and 23. Surah Al-Qiyamah, which is Surah number 75, verses 22 and 23. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, nadira ila rabbiha nadira. That on, those, on that day, faces will be bright while they see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, while they're looking to their Lord. And this is a very clear and explicit proof that people will be seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day. Proof number two, Surah Yunus, verse 26. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, الْحُسْنَ وَزِيَادَةً That those people that do good will be compensated with good and more. They will be compensated with good and more. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he mentions this more over here is referring to the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is referring to the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Proof number three. Surah number 50, Surah Qaf, verse number 35. Surah Qaf, verse number 35. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَلَدَيْنَا مَزِيد That we will have more to give them. And this extra that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give the believers and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from them is the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's verse number 35 in Surah Al-Qaf. So those are very explicit proofs in terms of the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, in Usul Al-Fiqh, there's something called Mafhum Al-Mukhalafa where you understand something due to its opposite. Where you understand something due to its opposite opposite. So for example, if I was to say sit down, this is the opposite of don't stand, right? If I say sit down, this is the opposite of don't stand. So if I was to tell you to sit down, you can understand from it that I don't want you standing right now, right? This is what we call mafhum al-mukhalafa, how you understand the opposite of something through something else. And this is what we're going to be applying over here. And this is in Surah Mutaffifin, verse number 15. Surah Mutaffifin, verse number 15. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, That He's talking about the disbelievers, that on that day the disbelievers will have a veil between them and their Lord. Uh, the disbelievers will have a veil between them and their Lord. So the mufhum al-mukhalafa of this ayah is, that the believers on that day, they will not have a veil between them and their Lord, meaning that they will be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They will be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are proofs from the Quran. And in the last verse, when we talk about the, the, the poems, uh, sorry, the, the verses of the poems, in the last verse, we'll actually discuss the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, which is mutawatir, and then we'll have a separate discussion on that. Now, let us start off with the, uh, the verses of the poem. Munib, can you read uh, verses 6 to 9 for us? وَقُلْ يَتَجَلَّى From there. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم اغفر لشيخنا وللحاضرين قال الناظم رحمه الله وإياه وَقُلْ يَتَجَلَّى اللَّهُ لِلْخَلْقِ جَهْرَةً كَمَا الْبَدْرُ لَا يُخْفَى وَرَبُّكَ أَوْضَحُ وَلَيْسَ بِمَوْلُودٍ وَلَيْسَ بِوَالِدٍ وَلَيْسَ لَهُ شَبْهٌ تَعَلَى الْمُسَبَّحُ وَقَدْ يُنْكَرُ الْجَهْمِيُّ وَقَدْ يُنْكَرُ الْجَهْمِيُّ هَذَا وَعِنْدَنَا بِمِصْدَاقِ مَا قُلْنَا حَدِيثٌ مُصَرَّحٌ رَوَاهُ جَرِيرٌ عَنْ مَقَالِ مُحَمَّدٍ فَقُلْ مِثْلَ مَا قَالَ فَقُلْ مِثْلَ مَا قَدْ قَالَ فِي ذَلِكَ تَنْجِحُ Fantastic. Translation. And say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make himself visible to the creation openly, just as the full moon is not hard to see, and your Lord will be seen more clearly. And he was not born, nor he was fathered anyone, nor he has fathered anyone, nor is there anyone anything similar to him, exalted be the glorified one. And a Jahmi rejects this, however we have a testimony to the truth of what we say, a hadith that clarifies it. Jareel narrated it from the words of Muhammad wasallam. So say what he said about that and you will be successful. Jazakallahu khair. Okay, so the first thing in terms of the, the seeing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I wanted to share with you what Imam al-Darimi uh, narrates. Imam al-Darimi, he narrates over here, starting off the discussion, that those individuals that deny the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is feared that they will be deprived from seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those people that deny the seeing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is feared that they will be deprived from seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What do you understand from this statement? 
Those people that deny the seeing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is fear that they will be deprived from seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What do you understand from it? They will be disbelievers. Fantastic. And this is what he indirectly he's applying. Because as you'll come to see in the hadith later on, this hadith is mutawatir, meaning it's been narrated by so many companions and by so many tabi'in and by so many tabi'in tabi that it's impossible to deny. And the Prophet was very explicit about it. And likewise, you can see from the verses of the Quran that they're very explicit talking about this as well. So Imam al-Darimi rahimahullah, he was implying indirectly, he didn't say it explicitly, but he's implying indirectly that those people that deny the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is fear that they will be deprived from seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this shows us the importance uh, of understanding this attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ability to see Him, the ability to see Him. And now this leads us into a discussion that who will actually be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Who will actually be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Now there's been a, a very you know, large discussion on this amongst the scholars and there's many, many opinions. I want to summarize um, you know, one opinion for you inshallah. And this is the opinion that I, I believe uh, you know, puts everything together. And how we got to this opinion is that there's a principle in Usul Fiqh that states, Al Jam'u Awla min at Tarjih. Al Jam'u Awla min at Tarjih. And what that means is to be able to reconcile evidences is much, much better than to give preference of one proof over another, right? So there's many proofs that come into play as to who will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who will not. And to be able to reconcile all of them is better than to give preference of one you know, verse or one hadith over another verse or another hadith. And that's how we sort of came to this conclusion. And what this conclusion states is that the believers will definitely see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The believers will definitely see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is something that no one denies. So even amongst the different opinions, there's no scholar that said the believers will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is something that there's consensus on that the believers will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When it comes to the disbelievers, the disbelievers are broken down into two categories. The disbelievers are broken down into two categories. Category number one is the hypocrites, and category number two is everyone else. Category number two is everyone else. Starting off with the hypocrites over here, the opinion that uh, you know, seems uh, clear over here is that the, the hypocrites will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The hypocrites will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is based upon the hadith mentioned in Bukhari and Muslim, where the Prophet wasallam he says that on the Day of Judgment, every people will be called to follow that which they worshipped. So those that worship the sun will be called to, to, to follow the sun. Those that worship trees and idols will be called to, to follow the trees and the idols. And then those that worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be called to follow Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet mentions, amongst them will be their hypocrites. Amongst them will be their hypocrites as well. So meaning that the hypocrites, they will continue to follow the believers up until a certain stage of Qiyamah, up until a certain stage of Qiyamah. And then it continues that they will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask them to prostrate but they will not be able to prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The hypocrites will not be able to prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this hadith is quite explicit that the hypocrites will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what's interesting is what Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah comments on this hadith in, Sahih, in his explanation of Sahih Muslim. Why do you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would show the hypocrites himself, but he wouldn't show them to the disbelievers? I want you to think about this. Do you know the answer to this already? Go ahead. It's a form of punishment to show them what they will be missing for the rest of eternity. Fantastic. In fact, Imam Anawi, he considered this the greatest form of punishment outside of the hellfire. 
So meaning that before you can get to the hellfire, uh, then this is like the worst punishment that they will have. And in fact, this punishment will continue, you know, till Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides what to do with them. So what this is stating is that the hypocrites, they will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a short glimpse, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will eventually throw them into the hellfire. And even while in the, they're in the hellfire, their punishment it is increased by this regret and this remorse that only if I had truly you know, followed Islam and followed Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I could have been in the company of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I could have been in the company of all of the believers. But since I didn't do that, then this is like one of the, the worst forms of punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to the hypocrites. Now there's another opinion that says even the hypocrites will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they use the verse from Surah Mutafifin that we mentioned earlier. They use the verse from Surah Mutafifin that we mentioned earlier. Now let's get to the other disbelievers. The other disbelievers. The vast majority of scholars are of the opinion that the disbelievers, they will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala altogether. They will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala altogether. However, there are certain narrations that allude to the fact that the disbelievers will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but not in a state that they will recognize Him or not in a state that will make them happy. Not in a state that will make them happy. So when it says that the disbelievers will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this is true from the sense that they will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His most beautiful form. But it's not true in the sense that they will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala altogether. So they will be, there will be a barrier between them in seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His most beautiful form, but they will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in another form that will not make them happy. In fact, at that time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show His anger and His wrath to them. Will show His anger and His wrath to them. So these are, you know, in terms of the categories of who will get to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in what state, and in what state. So now, so the majority said that they will not see all Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala altogether. But we're making tafsil, we're giving extra explanation. When they say that they will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala altogether, even though it seems like it's explicit, what they're actually saying is that they will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His most beautiful form. And that's still the same opinion. That's still the same opinion. That is still the same opinion. Correct. So now, when talking about um, the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let's go back to the first verse. The Nadim over here, you know, um, he mentions over here that they will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like they see the full moon and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is even more apparent and more clear than that. Why does the author mention that they will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like the full moon? So in the last verse when we're going to be talking about the hadith of Jarir bin Abdullah radiallahu anhu, he narrates from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like you see the full moon. That you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like you see the full moon on the 14th night or the, between the 13th and the 15th night. That is how you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without any like, difficulties. The Prophet explicitly mentions this. And this is why the poet over here, he mentions that you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like you see the full moon. And remember we mentioned that from the signs of Ahl sunnah is that they try to use the language of the Quran and Sunnah as much as possible. And this is what the, uh, the, the poet over here is continue, continuing to do. That he's using the words of the Prophet wasallam as a part of his poetry, as a part of his poetry. Then we go on to his second verse. So now he's saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not born, nor is he a father, and he has no uh, comparison to him, and he is the most high and uh, exalted from every deficiency. Now when talking about the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
it's very interesting that what does, you know, having, you know, he's not a father and he's not, you know, well, he wasn't begotten. What does this have to do with seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The scholars mentioned that the reason why the author mentioned this over here is to allude to a point that we previously mentioned over here. That just because you affirm something from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it doesn't mean he becomes like his creation. It doesn't mean that he becomes like his creation. And last week you guys learned two words that talk about, you know, likening Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his creation. Who remembers those two words? What were the two words you guys learned last week? No. That's the verse that we that Allah Sunnah uses. Tamthil and Tashbih. Fantastic. So those are the two words that you learned last week. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, he mentions in the Tadmuriyah something very, very important to understand. He says, every mu'attil is a mushabbih, meaning everyone that makes ta'til of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in fact someone that is making tashbih. Ta'til, for those of you that didn't attend last week, is to completely deny the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So anyone that denies the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is only doing so because he's likening Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his creation. He's likening Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his creation. And that is why he ends up making ta'til. In fact, if he understood that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can have attributes that are shared by human beings, but they are in a manner which is befitting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then they would not fall into tashbih, which would not force them to make ta'til, which would not force them to make ta'til over here. Now, this leads us into our discussion of what are the three opinions or what is the position of Ahl Sunnah, the position of the Mu'tazila, and the position of the Ashara when it comes to the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the position of Ahl Sunnah, go ahead. I, I didn't understand you, you, uh, the, the point where you said that um, scholars say that, that he, that he um, uh, Ibn Abi Dawud, he said this here, why exactly? Like the, after the sight of Allah, he mentioned that he doesn't have Okay, so if you look in, in Surah Al-Ikhlas, he says, لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفْوًا أَحَدٍ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفْوًا أَحَدٍ What does that mean? There's nothing like him. So here he's saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not begotten, nor has he, he's not a father, nor has he been begotten, and there's nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what he's coming back to over here. He's using the verse from Surah Al-Ikhlas over here, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not begotten, nor is he a father, and there's nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So over here he's saying just because we affirm the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it doesn't mean we're likening Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his creation. That's what he's referring to over here. So just because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, ad, or sorry, we have attributes that are shared with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but in a manner that is befitting His Majesty, it doesn't mean that we are like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what we spoke about in, uh, in, the, in last week's halaqah as well, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly told us, Laysa al-basir, that there's nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala affirms sam and basir for Himself, as well as for human beings, as well as for human beings. So this is what the, uh, the Nadim is referring to over here. Now the point that I was going to make was, yes, the positions of the Ahl Sunnah, the Ashara, and the Mu'tazila. So the Mu'tazila, they outright denied the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said it is not possible to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala altogether. It is not possible to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala altogether. And let us see what they say. Hmm. Actually, yeah, that's pretty much what they say. That it's impossible to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was the position of the Mu'tazila, the Jahmiyyah, and even the Rafidah. They denied the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, the position of the Ashara. 
the position of the Ash'ara was they affirmed the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but in a manner different from Ahl sunnah in a manner different from Ahl sunnah how so? so Ahl sunnah they affirmed the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a real manner that you know you will be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with your eyes as a reality in the hereafter right? this is the position of Ahl sunnah the Ash'ara they said that you will be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but he will not be up, he will not be down, he will not be left, he will not be right. So how will you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah knows best. But he, they've told you everything that you, where you won't see him, but they haven't told you where you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now why is this problematic? Why is this problematic? This statement of the Ashara that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not up and he's not down, he's not left and he's not right. Theoretically speaking, the position of Ahlul Sunnah is that we only affirm for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that which he affirms for himself, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it comes to his sight, he didn't mention that he will be right up, left or down. The Ashara, the fact that they're going to this degree, it shows that they fall into some form of tashbih, that they have to make such a clarification. Ahlul Sunnah, since they didn't fall into this tashbih, they didn't need to make that clarification. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be seen in a, in a manner that is befitting His majesty. In a manner that is befitting His majesty. And if you actually understand the, the statement of the Ashara, in reality it's not too different from the statement of the Mu'tazila. In fact, the Mu'tazila, at least they were explicit about what they believed. With the Ashara, you know, it's as if, you know, as we mentioned in last week's halaqah as well, that they are coming to the same conclusion where they denied the, you know, the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but in, in a very long, you know, winded manner. Over here where they're saying Allah is not up and He's not down and He's not, and he's, left, he's not right. Okay, then where are you going to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And they said the reason we can't do that, we can't say where we're going to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is because they don't want to affirm direction. The question that Ahlul Sunnah poses over here is, who said you have to affirm a direction in the first place? Who says you have to affirm a direction in the first place, right? If in fact, if Allah didn't mention it, we don't need to mention it, right? We stay silent about that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stayed silent about. We stay silent about that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stayed silent about. So now, just let me finish one point and I'll answer your question. Let us look at the proofs of the Mu'tazila. And you know some of the problems that the Ashara had in affirming the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first is in Surah Al-An'am verse number 103. Surah Al-An'am verse 103. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says, That the, the sight cannot encompass Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encompasses everything. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encompasses everything. How are we going to respond to this? Who's going to respond to this? Go ahead. This could be on in, in this dunya because the same thing happened with Musa alayhi salam in another account. That verse is actually coming up later on. But that, that, the, 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 the generality of the answer is correct, but it doesn't re respond to, to what we're saying over here. Go ahead. Do you not just see the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because it's, it's maybe impossible to do that. So we just see what you did. Okay, again, that, that's a good general answer, but we need something specific. The word, look at the wording that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used. He used idraq, and idraq is different from ru'ya and, you know, basr, right? So why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using idraq over here? Abdul Wasir. I was going to say that this hadith is that you didn't see Allah as the full moon. Mm -hmm. And that we would be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the hadith mentioned. Okay, fantastic. You're going back to the hadith, that's fantastic. But then they're going to say, then how do you understand this verse? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He clearly says that the eyes will not be able to encompass Him. Ahmed. My understanding is uh, our sights do not reach Allah, but 
Unless Allah wills, so you're giving like with the permission of Allah. Allah, I've never heard that opinion, but very good guess. I know I don't give second chances yet. <laughs> Is there anyone that hasn't had a first chance? <laughs> no one's talking about touching. But I have a, a clearer example for you. Fine, last two. Go ahead, Danish and then Abdul Wasya. Just to be able to see him is different than being able to encompass him. Fantastic. Okay, so give me an example of something that you can see, but you can't encompass. The moon? <laughs> <laughs> you can actually encompass the moon. You can see the moon in its totality. The sun? Oh, that's one example, okay. But a, a clearer, I, I want to give Abdul Wasya a chance. Go ahead. Hmm. And that's what Danish was saying. But that's coming up in the verse of Musa salam. Well, we'll get to that in a second. So I want you to think about the horizon, right? Everyone sees the horizon at Fajr time. You can see the horizon. But can you encompass the entirety of the horizon? No, you can't. Your eyesight is just not wide enough. Now, we're not saying that is the case with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what we are saying is that you can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it doesn't mean you will be able to encompass Him. So this verse needs to be understood in its proper context. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made nafi of idraq, but He did not make nafi of the ru'ya. Right? He, made na he, he denied the ability to encompass, but he did not deny the ability to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's two different things that are being talked about. Two different things uh, that are ta being talked about. A second uh, opposition to this is in Surah Al-A'raf verse 143. Surah Al-A'raf <laughs> verse 143. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells Musa alayhi salam, قَالَ لَن تَرَانِي وَلَكِنْ أُنْظُرْ إِلَى الْجَبَلِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells Musa that you will not see me, but rather look towards the mountain. Look towards the mountain. Now this is where we take uh, what you, some of you stated, that this is referring to in this dunya and not referring to the akhirah. So in this world, no one has seen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, Aisha radiallahu anha in Sahih Bukhari, she says that anyone that claims that even Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his real form, then he has lied, he has lied. So in this world, it's not possible to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is ikhtilaf, can someone see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a dream? But you know, that's outside the scope of our discussion. However, while one, when someone is awake, there's ijma, there's consensus that you cannot see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this verse, that's what it's referring to. That in this verse, you cannot, in this world, you cannot see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His true and real form. What's really interesting is that Musa uh, ibn Kathir, he says about Musa alayhi salam, he says Musa alayhi salam is more exalted than to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of something that was not possible. Musa alayhi salam is more exalted than to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of something that was not possible. Meaning had, had it been impossible to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Musa salam being a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he would not ask something that is indecent, right? So the fact that Musa salam is asking the question is a clear indication that this is something that is possible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is something that is possible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those are, are, are some of the oppositions in terms of, uh, you know, are textual proofs, in terms of textual proofs. Just give me one more minute and I have to answer both of your questions inshallah. In terms of textual proofs. Now in terms of logical proofs. And this is the, the biggest problem that the Mu'tazila and the Ash'ara had. The biggest problem that the Mu'tazila and the Ash'ara had. So if you remember in Halaqa number one, we talked about this proof that was called Dalil al-A'rad wa hudut al-Ajsam. That accidents can only exist inside of bodies. 
Meaning that if anything has an attribute, it can only exist inside of a body. And if there is a body, it must be created. It must be created. So the Mu'tazila over here, they denied the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they said that if you affirm a sight for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He can be seen, then this affirms that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a body, right? And then, you know, this is something that is not possible. And it goes back to, if there is a body, then it has to be ancient. And if it is ancient, then this is another ilah with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That was the argument of the Mu'tazila. And obviously, we've been talking about the fallacious argument of the Mu'tazila over here, that one needs to understand the Quran and the Sunnah upon the appearance without asking why and without asking how, and just accepting it as it is. That one should not bring Greek philosophy into matters of Aqidah. There's no room for Greek philosophy in, in matters of Aqidah. Now the Ash'ara, we always mention that they came as a middle ground between Ahl-Sunnah and the Mu'tazila. However, even though their wordings were different, then often they held the same opinions as the Mu'tazila, just in a different wording, just in a different wording. So that was sort of the logical argument that they used, that if something has an attribute, then it must have a body. And if something has a body, then this is another ilah with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is not possible. Now let me take your questions. Ahmed first. Right. Is it because the hadith is mutawatir and they just feel that they have to? Just Fantastic, exactly. Like, you know, the Ash'ara are, are still from Ahlul Sunnah in the sense that they accept the same text as us, right? You'll see that, I, again, maybe we'll leave this for the, if we do a heresiology class, but the Ash'ara, uh, they'll differ with Ahlul Sunnah on, on four things. They'll differ with Ahlul Sunnah on four things. In the matter of Iman, where they talk about actions being a part of Iman, in the matter of Qadr, where they will lean towards you know, we are compelled to do what, uh, what we do in matters of sifat, where they will either do ta'wil or tafwith, what we talked about. And then this is the, uh, the big one over here. And not all of them did this, but this is taqdeem al-aqal al-naqal, where they said that we will give preference to our intellects over text. This didn't happen by all of them, and it didn't, even those that did it only did in specific cases. So these are the four main differences that they had. And a lot of the times, you know, they were still righteous and pious people. So particularly their, their scholars, if something is mutawatir and you know, is agreed upon, they can't go against ijma. So now they need to be able to reconcile this concept of textual evidence with what they believe in. And this, if you, if, if you get a chance, go back and listen to the first halaqa, where we talked about that the position of Ahlul Sunnah is that we will look at the evidences and then build our opinion. Whereas Ahlul Bid'ah, what they did was they built their opinion and then they looked for the evidences, right? And this is what happened that, you know, they built an opinion, then they're like, let us go find proofs. And at the same time, they couldn't deny the proofs that were already there. So that is why they, they held their opinion. Wallahu alam. Go ahead. Uh, I, was, I didn't get the point about the verse that you needed to account for Allah subhanahu Right. Okay, so encompassing is different from sight, right? So when you see the horizon, you can see the horizon, but you don't encompass the entirety of the horizon, right? So similarly over here, one can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but will not be able to encompass Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He did nafi of idraq, but didn't do nafi of ru'ya. So he, did, he denied the ability to encompass, but He didn't deny the ability to see. Does that make sense? Fantastic. Yeah. Although Musa what Ibn Kathir said, yes. saying that yeah, it is possible, so did you mean that in this dunya or still in the hereafter? Like? No, in the hereafter, in the hereafter, yeah, in the hereafter. Khair. Um where was I? We were going on to verse, sorry? 
No, no, we, we mentioned we, we finished that. So now, um, yeah, we finished uh, and I told you the Ashaira, they uh, so what part are you referring to exactly? Yeah, the logical proof of the, the logical proof uh, of the Ashaira is exactly the same. Like I said, the Ashaira. They were clever in the sense they'll have the same opinion as the Ashara, just in different wording, right? So they were more politically correct when they came came to these matters. Now, what I want to share with you over here is, um, you know, verses in the Quran that say that there's no comparison to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. That there's no comparison to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. The first is Surah Maryam, verse number sixty-five. Surah Maryam, verse sixty-five. Where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He says, "Hal ta'alamu lahu samiyah?" That do you know and do you know of any comparison with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala? This is obviously a rhetorical question that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is denying that there's anything that can be compared to Him. Then in Surah Al-Ikhlas, verse number four, "Walam yakullahu kufuwan ahad." Walam yakullahu kufuwan ahad. And likewise, the verse that we mentioned last week as well, "Laysa kamithlihi shay, wa huwa samiyul basir." All of these verses indicate that there's nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is you know, a very important point to understand is that when you look, as you mentioned in the very first halaqa, when we talk about aqidah, it becomes very polarized and very polemical. That people like to throw labels at one another and saying you are this and they'll respond by no, you are that. And this is what ends up happening. So in this discussion of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ahlul Sunnah, they often get accused of being mushabbiha, being meaning that they, uh, you know, liken Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to His creation. Who knows the word for that in, in English? When you liken Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to human beings. Anthropomorphism. anthropomorphism, fantastic. This is what they accuse Allah, this is what they accuse Ahlul Sunnah of, that you guys are anthropomorphous, you give Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala human-like attributes. And this is what is important to understand, that they accuse Ahlul Sunnah of being anthropomorphists based upon the fact that we affirm the verses. And if you look at the verses themselves, these verses themselves affirm what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about Himself. So we're just affirming what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about Himself. And at the same time, we need to understand that yes, there is another opposite extreme between absolute denial and absolute affirmation. That absolute affirmation being that you say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like His creation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly mentions, us, mentions this to us that He's not like His creation at all. In fact, the, you know, while there's a, a, a sharing of names, there's a, difference, a complete difference in reality. Right? So just like we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alive and is present, then His life is completely different from our lives. I mean, our life, you know, is very finite, very, very finite. In fact, even when we are alive, the, 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 the quality of life, you know, will, will vary. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's life is the absolute utmost perfection. That He is the first that had no, you know, no one before Him, and, and He is the, the last that has no one after Him. And sleep does not overtake Him, slumber does not overtake Him, as we talked about last week. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's life is absolutely perfect, and it is completely different from the life of His creation. Now we mention this over here because throughout history, you will see later on, you know, particularly, as the, the, particularly in the Hanbali movement, you know, you'll see that certain people, they came and they said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had human-like attributes. This is what, you know, they ended up saying. And even, you know, just like Ahlul Sunnah, they were strict with the Ashara and the Mu'tazila in terms of their understanding of denying the attributes of Allah. Then Ahlul Sunnah is just as strict against those people that affirmed the likeness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to His creation. That affirmed the likeness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to His creation. And this is why the, the poet he says, Ta'ala Allahu al-Musabbahu, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more exalted and glorified than this. Now what's interesting over here is that if you look in um, 
Where is the verse? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's Surah Fusilat. If I'm not mistaken, Surah Fusilat. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Safat, Surah Safat, that's the one, fantastic. In Surah Safat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says over here, Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more exalted and glorified than what the disbelievers say about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, than what the disbelievers say about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَسَلَامٌ عَلَى الْمُرْسَلِينَ And peace be upon the messengers. What is the relationship between these two statements? The relationship between these two statements is that the disbelievers came in direct opposition to what the messengers came with. The disbelievers came in direct opposition to what the messengers came with. So when it came to the disbelievers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says that He is free and exalted above what the disbelievers are saying. Yet he affirms the correctness of what the prophets and messengers came with. He, came, he affirms the correctness of what the prophets and messengers came with. So what this means over here is that when it comes to all aspects of Aqidah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He affirms for Himself what the prophets and messengers said. That's why He says, وَالسَّلَامٌ عَلَى الْمُرْسَلِينَ That's why He sends peace upon the, the messengers uh, at this time in this very verse. So that one should affirm whatever the prophets and messengers came with. Whatever the prophets and messengers came with. We tie this into the fact that you cannot be a mushabbih, you cannot be a mujassim if you are affirming what the prophets came with, right? And that is what the stance of Ahlul Sunnah is. That we affirm what the prophets and messengers came with without, you know, likening Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to His creation, without asking how, and in a manner that is befitting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Musabbahu, the very last word of, of this uh, line. Al-Musabbahu, it comes from Tasbih. And Tasbih is to free Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from every deficiency. To free Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from every deficiency. So we will free Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from oppression. We will free Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from being unjust. We will free Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from evil. These are things that we do not attribute to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. While we affirm the exact opposite of it. We affirm absolute justice for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We affirm absolute love and compassion for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? These are the things that we do affirm for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now why does he mention al-musabbahu? He mentions al-musabbahu over here because according uh, the understanding of the Ashara and the Mu'tazila to do tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to exalt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala above from having attributes. To exalt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala above from having attributes. Whereas of Ahlul Sunnah, the understanding of Al-Musabbahu is to free Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from having any deficiencies. And this is why it's so important to understand that just because we affirm an attribute to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're not affirming a deficiency or a human-like characteristic. We're affirming those characteristics in a manner that is befitting of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In a manner that is befitting of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let's move on to the third verse. The third verse. And in the third verse, he goes on to say, وَقَدْ يُنْكَرُ الْجَهْمِيُّ وَحَاذَا وَعِنْدِنَا بِمِصْدَاقِ مَا قُلْنَا حَدِيثٌ مُسَرَّحُ What's important to understand in this verse over here, مُسَرَّحُ, it means something very explicit. Now in another version of this poem, or another, sorry, another narration of this poem, مُسَرَّحُ is also a, um, synonymous or interchanged with مُسَحَّهُ, meaning that there's explicit narrations as well as authentic narrations. And then we actually get into what the authentic narration is. رَوَاهُ جَرِيرٌ عَنْ مَقَالِ مُحَمَّدٍ فَقُلْ مِثْلِ مَا قَدْ قَالَ فِي ذَاكَ تَنْجَحُ So this hadith of Jarir, this hadith of Jarir. And this is what I want to share with you over here, بِذِنَّهِ تَعَالَى 
رواه الصحابي الجليل جرير بن عبد الله البجلي رضي الله عنه أن قول أن قول النبي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو في الصحيحين وغيرهما من كتب السنة رواه البخاري ومسلم عن جرير بن عبد الله البجلي رضي الله عنه قال كنا جلوسا عند النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذ نظر إلى القمر ليلة البدر فقال أما إنكم سترون ربكم كما ترون هذا القمر ليلة البدر لا تضامون في رؤيته فإن استطعتم ألا تغلبوا على صلاة قبل طلوع الشمس وصلاة قبل غروبها ففعلوا So here the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم as reported by Jarir bin Abdullah al-Bajli, the, no, the noble companion, we were sitting with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Laylat al-Badr. Laylat al-Badr over here is not referring to the Battle of Badr, it's referring to the 13th, 14th, and 15th of the month. That the 13th, 14th, and 15th of the month when the moon is full, the moon when it's full is called Laylat al-Badr. The, 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 the moon when it's out in, in its full, you know, shining light. And he goes on to say that you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like you see the moon lay on the night uh, of Badr, meaning in its full uh, appearance and its full presence. And you will not have any difficulty in seeing him. And you will not have any difficulty in seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why does he mention you will not have any difficulty seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? This is a difference between looking at the sun and looking at the moon. Whereas when you look at the sun, if you were to look directly into the sun, it's something that is very painful for the eyes and you can't you know, look at it for, for too long, if not at all. Whereas looking at the moon, you know, if you ever see the full moon, subhanAllah, you can just feel something inside of you that this is like a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's just something special about seeing the full moon and you can look at it for a very long time and you get this happy feeling, right? This is what the Messenger of Allah is saying that you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day without any difficulty, meaning that you will not be blinded by the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now the difference between the light of the sun and the light of the moon. The light of the sun is very painful to see, whereas the light of the moon is, is very soothing. And this is what the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is saying about seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِنْ إِسْتَطَعْتُمْ أَلَّا تُغْلِبُوا عَلَىٰ صَلَاةٍ قَبْلَ تُلُعِ الشَّمْسِ وَقَبْلَ غُرُوبِهَا فَفَعْلُمْ And if you're able to never miss a prayer, before the sunrise and before the sunset, then make sure you do so. Make sure you do so. Now, both Ibn Hajar and Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah, they mention that the prayer between sunrise, sorry, the prayer before sunrise and the prayer before sunset is Salatul Fajr and Salatul Asr. Now who can tell me what's specific or exclusive to these two prayers? Meaning like, what is something special about these two prayers? Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, that's one aspect. But I want you to think about a verse in the Quran. Sorry? No. Think about a verse in the Quran, Surah Al Baqarah. Fantastic. What's the relationship? Yes. You got the verse, mashallah, that's fantastic. Now we need to figure out the relationship. Go ahead. In the one way if you see Fajr is the middle prayer, and the other way you see Asr, depending how we begin the day. Fantastic. So this is where the ikhtilaf was. When they said, what is the Salat al-Wusta? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَحَافِذُوا عَلَى الصَّلَوَاتِ وَالصَّلَاتِ الْوُسْتَ وَقُمُوا لِلَّهِ قَانَتِينَ That preserve the middle prayer, preserve the prayers, especially the middle prayer, and stand in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you have to observe all the prayers. But while you observe all of the prayers, especially the middle prayer. 
So this was the ikhtilaf even amongst the Sahaba that what is this middle prayer? Is it Salat al-Fajr or is it Salat al-Asr, right? So here this is what the Prophet Wasallam is saying that pay very special attention to these two prayers that make sure you never ever miss them, right? And that's why you'll see in terms of virtues, you know, you'll find some virtues for Dhuhr, some verses for Maghrib, some verses for uh, some, you know, hadith for Aisha, virtues of Aisha. But when it came to Fajr and Asr, there's like explicit virtues. So the Prophet says, whoever misses the Asr prayer, it's as if he's lost all of his wealth, his children and his property. As if he's lost everything, right? That is the example he gives for Salat al-Asr, right? So the, the, those prayers have a lot of virtues in it. Now we tie this in, this ties into... You know, the seeing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only being for the believers. And the more the believers were consistent in their salah, then the more, you know, time they will get to spend in the company of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's something important to understand, that not everyone will get the same amount of company with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The more good deeds you did, then the more time you will spend with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the more time uh, you will get to spend with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to share one last thing with you, and then we can conclude... Yes, the statement of Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. He says, قَالَ الشَّيْخُ الْإِسْلَامِ بِنْ سَيْمِيَا رَحِمُهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ وَحَدَ الْحَدِيثِ مِنْ أَصَحِ الْحَدِيثِ عَلَىٰ وَجْهِ الْأَرْضِ الْمُتَلَقَّاهِ بِالْقُبُولِ الْمُجْمَعَ عَلَيْهَا عِنْدَ الْعُلَمَاءِ بِالْحَدِيثِ وَسَائِرِ أَحْلِ السُّنَّةِ So he says over here, and this hadith is from the most authentic hadith on the face of the earth that has been given acceptance, that has been given acceptance. So it is from the most authentic hadith that has been given uh, acceptance. And it is agreed upon by all of the scholars of hadith and all of Ahl sunnah And all of the scholars of hadith and all of Ahl sunnah This is mentioned in Majmul Fatawa, volume 6, page 421. Volume 6, page 421. And this shows us the station of this hadith that it is, you know, without a shadow of a doubt authentic. That there's no one that can deny this uh, the authenticity of this hadith. This hadith is just as authentic as the Qur'an. Understand it that way. The Qur'an is reported to us as in mutawatir form, then this hadith is reported to us in mutawatir form. So many people narrating it, that it is impossible that a mistake could have been made, or an addition or a depletion was made, and no one picked up on it. Just like the Qur'an was preserved in that manner. And that is why this hadith is a foundation for our discussion tonight, that we will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like we see the full moon. We will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like we see the full moon, and there will be no difficulty in seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Concluding point over here. Is Allah is Allah's Messenger وسلم, comparing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the full moon in this hadith? No. Then what is he comparing? The sight of Allah, the clarity of the sight of Allah. Fantastic. And that's very important to understand. Because Ahlul Bid'ah, the way they understood this hadith, is that Ahlul Sunnah, you're doing tashbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the Qamar. When the Prophet ﷺ is mentioning this hadith, he's not doing tashbih of Allah with the qamar, he's doing tashbih of ru'ya bi ru'ya. That just the way you see uh, the full moon is the way you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you understand this very explicitly, that Allah is not being compared to the moon, but rather the sight of the moon is being compared to the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That will be a calm, peaceful, happy, serene sight that will be without any difficulty. And it is only befitting that we conclude by asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those that gets to see His beautiful face in the hereafter. And that Allah forgives us for our shortcomings. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts from us that which we do. And I know I said last point, but this is honestly the last point. Uh, the actual dua that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa used to make. 
He used to say, Allahumma inna nas'aluka ladhatan nadhari ila wajhika wa shawqa ila liqa'ik fi ghayri dara'i madarratin wa fitnatin mudillatin. That he says, oh Allah, we ask for you, we ask from you the pleasure of looking at your beautiful face and the desire uh, of longing to meet you. That is a meeting that has no harm in it uh, and uh, without a trial that can lead one astray, that can lead one astray. This dua was narrated by Imam al-Nasai uh, 1305, 1305. And it was authenticated by Shaykh al-Bani So here the Prophet actually used to make dua for this. He actually used to make dua to see the beautiful face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And obviously this is something that should be done uh, by ourselves as well. And that is why we concluded with that. Wallahu ta'ala alam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyana Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Now we can take your questions inshaAllah. Go ahead. Even if you're the lowest of the believers, you still get to see Allah? For sure. That is the benefit of Iman. As long as you said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu an Muhammad Rasulullah, and you tried your best to fulfill its conditions, inshallah you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Go ahead. I have two questions. Yes. The first question is, uh, what are the verses you mentioned that, uh, that talks about no comparison with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So yeah. Ikhlas of the first surah? Yeah. Uh, what, the, what were the other two? Uh, surah Maryam. And Shura, Shura, yeah, Shura is they say Kamithlihi Shaywahu Samuel Basir. And then what else do we mention? Just those three? Fantastic, then those three. My second question was I do not believe so. I do not believe so. Yeah, you go to sunnah.com, look up Sunnah and Nisa'i, and the you know, face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any other questions? Go ahead, Danish. Um, last lecture, you said um, you were explaining about the Mu'tazila, right? Mm -hmm. And how to them the speech of Allah is, is is ancient, and so it becomes another god yes. besides Allah. I don't understand, like what, like. How is it? I mean, that's the important thing to understand is that there well, a lot of their arguments are, are beyond comprehension, right? So what they're trying to say is that God is a being without any attributes. Because if you were to affirm any attributes, then this would create either one of two things. Either something that, like, that is like his creation, and that is why we deny the attributes. Or we say that the attributes are a separate entity from God. right? And this comes back to something linguistic. When you say, Yadullah, like the hand of Allah, and you say, Baytullah, right? This shows possession and ownership from something that is distinct, right? Is your house a part of you? No. It's not, right? But they use this, you know, misplaced linguistic principle to say that the same thing applies to the attributes of Allah. So when he says, Yadullah, this is referring to something separate from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is distinct from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you affirm that this is something that is distinct from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, either it always existed or something that came into existence. If you say that it's something that came into existence, then Allah is like His creation. If you say that it was something that was always in existence, then the hands of Allah become the deity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not meant to make sense, but that's where they're, they're coming from. Go ahead. You've done the same halaqah. Uh, the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so when you assume Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we believe, sorry. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is no beginning and no ending. Yes. So in terms of the Quran, yes. there's a question came to my mind. Uh, does it also have no beginning and no end? Because it's an attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
the Quran is an attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yes, the Quran is a form of a speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is related to his wanting to speak. So Allah speaks when he wants to speak, right? So his ability to speak has always been there and he chooses to speak when he wants. Does that make sense? Okay, fantastic. Here we'll conclude with that. Oh, go ahead. So why, why, did, why did we say that uh, if you make a drug or something, then you can't see all of it, right? Because the, the, way, the way I understood the drug is that the way you, you can, we can make a drug of ultras, uh, ultraviolet or uh, rays, right? So it just, we can't make a drug of it because we cannot see it. We, have, we don't have the ability to, to see it. Okay, I don't know anything about ultraviolet lights and, and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, 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 exists, it exists, but you don't have the ability to see it. Right. Then, uh, that's the thing. Sight and idraq are different. Ru'ya and idraq are two completely different things. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does nafi of idraq, He's not doing nafi of ru'ya. We do ithbat of ru'ya because the ayat and the hadith are, are clearly and explicit. And we do nafi of idraq because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did nafi of idraq. So now what we want to understand is what is the difference between idraq and ru'ya. And we say ru'ya is just simple sight. Whereas idraq is the ability to encompass. Why, why, in, in, in Arabic, adraq al-shari doesn't mean that you see all of it. I mean, if, if you, if you, if you adraq al-shari, it doesn't mean that you see all of it. You, you've seen it. It doesn't mean that you see all of it. I mean, okay, so you're talking about the, 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 the translation of idraq, is that what you're referring yeah. to? I mean, can you think of a better translation for idraq? Because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أَدَرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ Right? It's meaning that we will never truly understand the full understanding of it. Right? وَمَا أَدَرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينِ Like all these things, it's you will never get a complete picture or understanding of it. But we will never make it, be able to make a dirak of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what I'm telling you. Because that's what Allah said. Yes. Correct. Correct. Wallahu okay. alam. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when when, uh, when hypocrites meet Allah, when is that exactly? Is it before going to Jahannam or is it this? Yeah, so it's before going to Jahannam. So one of the last things that will happen uh, before, you know, the the account, actually this might even be after the account of it between the people. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But one of the last things that will happen is after the people are separated, the disbelievers from the believers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will uncover his shin and he will tell the believers, he will tell the people to make down sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is at that time that the believers will make sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the hypocrites will not be able to do so because they were always showing off their deeds. So when they're unable to, to bow down to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, anyone that wasn't able to bow down, he throws them into the hellfire at that time. But I don't know if this is after the account between the people or before that. Wallahu alam. But just to clarify that point. Yeah. The believers and the hypocrites both say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. Yes. Even prior to Jannah. Right? Yeah. 
Allahu Akbar. Okay, let's conclude with that. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik.